0: Mental Health Matters
1: on Phoenix FM. Hi there, and welcome to the return of the Mental Health Matters podcast here on Phoenix FM. I'm Graeme Stanard, and it's a pleasure for me to be continuing the wonderful work started by Bob Simpson, Chris Hood, and Scott W. in the last series. Over the coming episodes, I'm looking forward to sharing what I have been learning about mental health and sharing conversations with a variety of people working in the field, such as in psychology, psychiatry, and personal development but also I'll be investigating some of the broader causes and consequences such as factors like uh, other health issues, nutrition, and environmental influences. I will also be speaking to people who have recovered or have found good methods of improving how they feel. I had an interest in restarting the show because of my interest in the subject, partly because of my own difficulties I've encountered over the years, but also because of the people I have been grateful to meet over the years who have been studying various subjects around psychology and working through a lot of the causes and effects. On that note, now is a good time for the Phoenix FM disclaimer. We use our own living experience of mental health conditions to help others. We are not health professionals, and our view is from a different perspective to the professionals. If you feel unwell, we strongly advise you to seek professional help and advice, either from a GP or, if it's more urgent, at accident and emergency. I have an interesting first episode I'm looking forward to sharing with you now. Coming up in the second part of the show, I will be speaking with Colin Wade, a counselor with Brentwood Mind, doing wonderful work in the face of quite substantial adversity. We spoke about his early youth work and his music background, and how much day-to-day work is needed to keep the organisation going, particularly after having their funding removed. There will be some music during the episode, a couple of songs from Snaptime Cower I've been enjoying recently, and feel will work really well this episode. But first of all, I've got the pleasure of sharing a conversation with one of my friends I spoke of earlier, a specialist in existential integrative psychology and a psychotherapist. Elizaveta Tapini is also a great example of getting into the work after doing the work themselves. She's worked in a number of healthcare settings, providing therapy to a diverse group of clients, such as people with relational difficulties, identity issues, and anxiety. She's worked as a clinician and educator, and has been able to broaden her professional repertoire it was a pleasure to learn how she moved down these different avenues. And uh, yeah, let's start the interview now.
0: Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Follow us on Twitter at MHM podcast or join our Facebook group Mental Health Matters.
1: So we're, uh, yeah, the uh, debut episode of Mental Health Matters. Uh, I was looking forward to getting this podcast back off the ground for Phoenix FM. And it it was a, an idea close to my heart because of you know, my background, as all of our backgrounds really have a journey of getting to know ourselves and feeling better and, yes. <laughs> and working out what we're doing really. And, Absolutely. And uh, so it was just a good idea to find ways of helping people and uh, to meet people that are doing the same thing. And so uh, I have a great pleasure of being joined by yourself. Thank you very much <laughs> for the invitation. A great
2: pleasure of being with, here with you and having a chance to talk about these things.
1: Yeah, Elizabeth Tapini, if I pronounced that correctly.
2: Yes, Elizabeth Topini, yes. Ah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Just uh, so I came here because uh, when I was thinking about people to... Speak to about this, you know. I was uh, thinking about all the uh, wonderful people I know that are, you know, working with mental health or specifically mm. in psychology or mm. uh, psychiatry, or and uh, to share their experience and their knowledge, really, and how they're doing it. And so, uh, came to mind to speak to you. And uh, so you're here on the debut episode. So it's a privilege to be able to speak to you about it. And so, I guess as the outline for it, for the episode and for the idea of the mm-hmm. podcast is mental health matters. But we can start by finding out about yourself. Well, that's a good start, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why I chose to speak to you. So, uh, mm. yeah, just, sort of, just a, a bit of a background. T- yes.
2: To yeah, I guess the first thing that I would give as a background is that it wasn't my first profession. It became my second profession, and it's an ongoing uh, second profession. And I came, as everybody that is interested in uh, this area, out of a quest about my own self. Mm. I remember always my professor back when I was doing the BSc. He was a professor of psychiatry, and he had given us some statistics that it's around eighty percent, eighty-five percent, between something ridiculous like eighty percent or ninety percent. I can't remember the stats. It's been like twenty years, mm. but uh, that this is the this is kind of the the percentage kind of side of things as to who. Gets involved in uh, in these professions that usually people start from having to face something themselves. Yeah, and I'm no exception. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no exception. Uh, and yes, back in the day that my professor was referring to social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists. If you think about it, it's all the the gamut of the helping professions, you know, one way or the other. There are differences in what you can do with people, what sort of authority you have in terms of uh, prescribing medication or not. Yeah. But there is kind of this common denominator of the wounded healer. Yeah. That wants to do good. Yeah,
1: exactly. and Well, that applies to all the medical professions, really, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, especially in the West.
2: Yes, yes. Ah. And I would say not only in the West. It's just like uh, that it changes in the East how people would be approaching this. Ah, okay. Uh, for me, I think that even in the East, people start from some sort of quest about themselves. Maybe not with the same intensity that we in the West do. That's okay. But they they will have to start from themselves to actually engage with that kind of alternative medicine or, uh, you know, Buddhist informed practice or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. So, what was the turning point for you in terms of the uh, career change or the step into it?
2: Well, I guess uh, I need to just link it with my previous profession, uh, because that was my my attempt to see how I could bridge these two together somehow, Yeah, initially at least. I trained and I I worked as an actress in my 20s, and although, you know, they seem like completely different paths, if you think about it, or at least, you know, the way that I experienced it back then, it was that whenever I had to impersonate a role, Mm -hmm. I had to actually try to get into the other person's shoes yeah. so to speak yeah. so to me that was kind of the the first aha experience i had as you know as a, as a trainee actress not even as a full fully qualified actress that at some point i was given a piece a role and i i realized that i had to actually extract my own trauma in order to actually work with the role yeah uh. And I found that extremely therapeutic without even having the language of therapeutics or psychology or psychotherapy or what have you. So I think that planted the seed back then, if you know what I mean. And then I... You know, I faced what I would call uh, for brevity, I guess, and some confidentiality of my own story, an existential crisis, you know, as to where am I going with life? Okay, you know, this engagement with art is great, but I'm not progressing the way that yeah I want to, and uh, also in terms of finances. And uh, I was trying to find a way to get to help people for sure, but it's, I think that at that point, it was more to do with finding a way to help myself. Yeah. And uh, I reached out for help and uh, went into therapy myself. It wasn't successful from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and I think that this is also something else that will come out of our discussion later yeah. on as well. My first uh, therapist was not even properly qualified, oh, I right. didn't even know that. But all these kind of steps in that process, you know, it got me more involved with also. Some leisurely reading around psychological theories and things like that. I was always a bookworm since I was a kid anyway. So that started, you know, bringing the two together. And in my process of finding myself, then I started voluntarily helping others, like in community groups and things like that. Becoming a mentor for others, helping people finding uh, their way back into employment or back to education and things like that. Mm-hmm. People with addictive behaviors, things like that. But again, as a volunteer, you yeah. know, was just trying to get enough knowledge and see how I can bring things together, really, without starting a new life path or professional path and then ending up not liking it so
1: to speak that's a great idea yeah (laughs) Yeah, it helps yeah yeah
2: and i think that that's something that you can apply
1: that to any change of life really yeah Yeah.
2: exactly and you know that's why you know apart from politics uh, whatever i think volunteering is always a great idea okay we're not getting paid but you you get an opportunity to to actually familiarize yourself with something before you actually really invest in that yeah so yeah, that was the way I did it, and then I went to uni when I was twenty four, twenty five. Okay. Which I mean, now it sounds funny that I'm saying that I had life experience, you know, now, <laughs> you know, uh, in, uh, in my mid forties. But uh, back then, compared to the other students, yeah, I did have
1: big difference between twenty four and being eighteen. Exactly. I, yeah.
2: Exactly. So I I just uh, acquired the status straight away that I could associate knowledge with some life experience. Yeah.
1: And see how you could apply it, or you know the basis of it.
2: Yes, and uh, I found it much easier to study as well, relate theories to actual uh, experience that I had in my life, or had come across through others, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So from Gestalt psychology, uh, going back to, you know, the the psychology of perception, let's say, you know, what stays in the figure, what comes to the foreground and how things are changing. You know, I I had like a little life experience behind me to actually associate these things with something. Or with social psychology. I'm just going through before you become a therapist, you you, you know, in the first uh, BSc kind of level, you get exposed to every kind of psychology and then you get specialized into counseling clinical mm. psychology or psychotherapy that's one of the roots yeah you know, psychology can be done in the lab can be experimental can be to do with social groups you know there are many different things
3: yeah
2: Th- that's how things developed really and the more I got engaged with knowledge again you know in a, in a kind of a formalized way yeah the more I realized that my initial idea of bringing the arts into therapy, let's say, doing either a drama therapy master's or a dance therapy movement master's, things like that, it sounded a great idea initially, yeah. but if I were to stay also true to myself and being able to actually help others... I needed to recognize in myself that when I want to be on stage, I want to be on stage and perform. I I don't want to therapize anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So so I kept those things separate. It's only now, and I guess that's going to fold out as we're talking later on, that's something that now, you know, after close to 15, 16 years of practice, now I'm thinking of how I can bring that back. But initially... I just kept that separate, and then I started getting more experience uh, with talking therapy in particular, and trying to see how people respond to that, first as a trainee, and then uh, as a qualified, chartered psychologist, and then an existential psychotherapist. That was the way I did it. Okay.
1: That's the way that, just repeat what you said, like in terms of, uh, yeah, that's uh, how it happened, but it's like your own unique path based on, at each point, you're very true to yourself you were aware of how you were at each point of your life and that dictated the steps you, te- you took it wasn't just the very linear this degree that degree yeah, not at all. PhD yes. and then just keep going so you just literally you know w- at which point w- where to turn and what you wanted to do next yes. and just uh, helped you fine-tune and sharpen your skills and provide a quite a in some ways a unique way of approaching helping. it. Yeah, yes yeah.
2: yes and helping others as well for sure for yeah sure, for sure Thank you for saying that. I mean, it, it, you made it appear as, you know, like a continuous achievement process. <laughs> um, I mean, it's,
1: it's probably like that in hindsight or from my perspective as you yes. described it uh, yes. in terms of the, uh, the, you know, the, the terms you took. Yes. But I'm sure at each moment at some point you probably couldn't see the wood from the trees or it wasn't that clear yes, as to yes, what the yes, term yes, was going
2: yes, yes, to be. It, it, yeah, you know, I had like moments of proper turmoil, especially yeah. when that initial idea of bringing the arts and using arts as the therapeutic medium, then I realized that no, this cannot happen for me at this stage. Yeah. That was a very tumultuous moment, for sure. But um, I think I managed to actually turn that around pretty quickly. I didn't do it alone. It wasn't yeah. just my perseverance and my determination and bringing you know, my life experience in it. Yeah, And you know, it had also to do that I was in therapy myself and you know, I was exploring what was happening for me whilst I was... You know checking these other options and trying to stay true to myself in order to be able to help others be true to themselves via yeah i mean work.
1: that's a, a trick in itself is to be true to yourself because sometimes you don't even know what you want i mean i feel like that in the past or you know there's mm. times that, as you know when i wasn't feeling so good and this might be a bit of a theme in mm. some of the episodes is uh, knowing when to ask and who to ask and what to ask for a bit of help and just by yes. taking those first steps as i discovered that's when right things come to you and then through that process of asking and you know learning then you kind of fine tune or or tune into what you like and what will work for you in terms of steps forward
2: absolutely because it's a it's a very individual journey it's a personal yeah. <laughs> journey you <laughs> yeah. know finding yourself it's a very very personal journey yeah humans operate with language with ideas with different approaches around things and it can get quite confusing initially that uh, you're thinking okay now I know what I want and then when you actually engage with that then you realize that yes it's still what I want but perhaps I needed a slightly different approach with this let's say you know I talked about this you know using the art as therapeutics or not but it's, it's also when I started being more engaged in the theories or the therapeutic approaches that I can use. Yeah. That was, again, something that recalibrated both my thinking and my soul, you know, as to how I can actually help others. Yeah. And that also came from, uh, you know, the first experience of therapy not being that great. Right. And realizing through that experience that I need to be very, very careful as to you know, my own personal and professional ethics when I do this, yes. right? So, you know, that, that was one thing. The other was that perhaps this approach, you know, just looking at the past and not necessarily also seeing how you're relating with your difficulties or your aspirations or a combination of both, you it's yeah. a combination of both, yeah. we need also the lenses of the present. Because yeah. otherwise you might just get stuck in a loop of justifying yourself or not moving forwards because... Yeah. You're just thinking that, okay, yeah, this terrible thing happened to me back yeah. in the day. And if I keep talking about that with my therapist, so I can never claim responsibility in the presence of changing things. Yeah, so you because know what I mean.
1: you, can, you can, by giving the attention to it all the time and talking about it, you're still there. Yes. You're not yes. where you are now, you're exactly. not able to change. The way you're doing things now, which will then help yes. you move forward. Mm. You're, you're kind of you're, you're keeping a foot stuck in yes. the past. So, yeah, that's what I've been learning as well. Is that mm-hmm. I've like, it's actually when I stopped giving attention to some of the things I was being regretful about or thinking about too much, is when I was addressing how I am now and what am I doing, what, what can I improve right now. Mm-hmm. That's when things really started changing quite quickly.
2: Yes. And it's not that the past should not be revisited for sure, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a matter of gravity you know how much you put you know if, if we if we are to visualize it's yeah. like a an old-fashioned pair of scales like with two plates it's, yeah. it, you need to have a balance in how you you're doing this if you're just focusing on the past then your scales are going to be completely tilted and you won't be able to actually see how you can engage differently in the present yeah but if you if you go just in the present yeah. and you say it doesn't matter what happened to me at all. Yeah. You're in denial, really. Yeah, yeah. You cannot actually pull the thread and see see how that relates to now, but you still have the opportunity to engage differently with the words. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a fine-tuning kind of exercise. Yeah. Since we're full of equipment around us. You know, we can use a <laughs> metaphor, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh,
1: turning all the dials and everything. Yes, exactly. But what I noticed, yeah. actually, uh, especially more recently, was it was how I changed... What I'm doing now and uh, the difference in perception, which helped me address things in the past, so it's almost like that way mm. around. Yes, you know, because there's that expression of you know, just have to forgive or let go. But I was able to actually see how that works by dealing with that in the present, by mm. by uh, n- knowing how I can you know move forward more positively and realize that it just it's almost like what you're doing now. You can change the past to a degree or how you perceive it, which yes. will then kind of help you deal with it. Basically,
2: yeah, absolutely, I agree. It's just that with this thing that sometimes when, when we just go straight away to forgive and let yeah, go, yeah. That, that, that's, that's always what I, you know, I address with caution when yeah, people of are saying this, because it, it can easily, it seems the way you, you are describing your own experience that you, you did your own fine tuning. Yeah, You didn't just uh, say, okay, you know, it it did not happen. Yeah, well, you can yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but lots of people do that mistake. And
1: then it just ends up being suppressed and is yes. <laughs> not yeah. dealt with. And so, so, yes, and yeah. then it
2: will just sprout in a different way, you yeah. know. It might be, you know, come out in a different symptom or something else. Exactly. I- if you're just saying, no, you know, oh, yes, I have a very forgiving nature or... No, you know, I can live and let live, or, yeah, you yeah. know, let go and, uh, you know, just be above things. Yeah. You know, that that can uh, There's a bit of CBT backfire.
1: that deals with uh, you know, changing behavior patterns, but somehow not uh, addressing the roots of them, perhaps. And you know, there's, there's, you know, elements to exactly. it which are useful, which is actually looking into the CBT is a way that I kind of, one of the mm. steps I took.
2: Well, me too, at some point. But yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting you're raising that, because that's something that always stirs up big conversation also with my students, my my psychotherapy trainee students, that CBT can be extremely helpful in cases where something interferes, uh, particular symptoms uh, interferes with your everyday function to the degree that it doesn't let you function. Let's say somebody has severe agoraphobia and they cannot leave the house. Oh, yeah. or, or they yeah, or they suffer from panic attacks or you know something to do with phobias. I would keep it around that because depression is much more complicated according to me at least in those cases, of course, you're going to start with CBT, mm. because you need to get rid of that symptom that is, it, or at least the intensity of that symptom, so the person can actually engage again with the world before you actually go into more nuanced stuff and, you know, checking around the past and etc. That's a
1: good idea. Yeah, so there, there is an element to it. It's like a a tool in the box, as it were. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. But the mistake that people do quite frequently, because it, it has become a little bit like the ideology of our times, the CBT also, you know, it's, it's very much promoted in the NHS. And, you know, it has definitely helped a lot of people to access services. And that's, you know, the IAPT services that they're talking about is improved access to psychological therapies. For sure, it allowed more people to actually engage. this it, is uh, shorter... Um, waiting lists and things like that. But at times it just stays only as the only tool in the toolbox. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> and it cannot be enough. Because if you if you just stay uh, on that kind of surface level, eliminating the symptom, but without actually checking how that applies to the rest of somebody's story, mm. then it's very, very possible that a symptom might come, a different symptom might come up in a different way well, it's later. it's natural
1: because it's like yeah, yeah, you're suppressing something which is trying to get out, or, exactly. or if it's not trying to get out, at least it's to it's, express it's, yeah. something. Yeah, 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 to yeah. express something. Yeah.
2: And uh, and this is where you know the more kind of individual touch is quite important. You know what what is the personal meaning of somebody's story? You know, the, if I were to suffer from panic attacks, they would be different from your panic attacks. Yes. They would be having common characteristics, like, you know, if you had to go to the diagnostic manual, you know, it says tick box, this, 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 yes, that, that's, both these people have a panic attack. But what is my story behind that? How do I relate to losing control and the notion of, you know, being out of balance or whatever it is? It's very different to yours. Yeah. You know, I'm just using ourselves as examples.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but also that kind of brings me back to your journey as to getting here. Is from what in hindsight seems like a very smooth kind of transition, but it's also what you've gone through Our are steps and are knowledge of other tools yes. in the toolbox, as it were. So, yes. you know, you're, you're able to have that awareness of mm. how CBT, for example, could be useful or not useful in that way. And then these other techniques mm-hmm. as well. And so yes. you've, you've given yourself a broad spectrum yes. of yes, things to apply when you... Absolutely. Uh,
2: so yes, uh, well, what I'm doing now is I'm in private practice now mostly, and uh, I also teach. Yeah. M.A. psychotherapy trainees and uh, some people on the advanced diploma level as well. And uh, in the past, I have also taught counseling psychology trainees for, towards the professional doctorate. And for sure, the other thing that has changed is how many how many people I see per week. Right. You cannot do everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you one person with twenty four hours. And it's also something that I think it's informing also my practice as to how I want to utilize that knowledge as well. Yeah. That's one thing. Th- there is a difference between teaching, supervising the clinical cases of others and practicing yourself. Yeah. And also I would say that because I have quite a few years behind me now and I, I have worked in charities, I have worked in organisations, I worked in the NHS for a bit. Then I, uh, I set up a low-cost community counselling service uh, some years back, um, which is not active now, but you know, just looking also as to how what people are bringing might mm. be very different when they come through the NHS as opposed to having the luxury of being able to pay for long-term therapy yeah. privately. So that's why I wanted to address this first, because I think that that has to do with the differences as well. Yeah. So I would say that now I have reduced the, yes, as I told you, I have reduced the number I'm seeing.
3: Yeah.
2: Also, because I think that with years of practice, you know, you accumulate a lot. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, I have my own clinical supervisor, you know, I'm discussing things, Uh, my personal therapy has finished, you know, I cannot be in therapy forever. What's the point? Otherwise, right, you know, (laughs) at some point you need to complete and then realize how you're utilizing all that. I felt that I just needed to... Actually, it it was an exercise in self-care as well. Uh, And that's something that is not just to do with my story, I think. You know, it's something that if you check the literature on any helping profession... Nurses in particular, you know, they have tons of studies on burnout. Yeah. And uh, in our work as well, especially when you're working in private practice and yeah. you don't have a system around you uh, to actually, you know, just, just balance things out with, you know, with your colleagues in the corridor or, you know, just your lunch break, something. Yeah. Then it can uh, it, it can actually become too much. Right. I'm not going to lie. You yeah. know, it's uh, it, it can become too much. And uh, so I have changed the way that I, I do my own kind of checklist. Yeah. You know, how many people can I see for the forthcoming, let's say, 18 months? Okay. In order to be able also to provide the best I can. Yeah. Right? Because I mean, that
1: comes with experience, though. How much you have, uh, what you have done in the past, the different things you've done. Mm. And now you're applying that experience into just working out literally has each day of the week, each week, you mm. can know what you can do.
2: Yes. Yes. Very much so, and and it's not just um, to be fair and honest. Mm. I. It's not just a matter of hours. Yeah. It's also a matter of severity of presentations.
1: Because also, yeah, so what just came to mind as I was saying that is, mm. yeah, each person will require a different course of. Yes, you know you could say treatment, but it's not quite the case. But of sessions or whatever. Yes, and so that's going to be a different workload, isn't it? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. So that that is something that you know, as as a private practice practitioner, I always nowadays after you know you learn, you live and learn, you know, through trial and error. I I check during the assessment what the duration of the therapy will be with somebody. You know, some people just come for three months, like yeah. 12 sessions, the same as it is in uh, NHS services. And that's enough. They just have like something, you know, yeah. going back to the CBT thing that we were talking about, that they it just started happening, like a yeah. panic attack, and they just want to resolve this yeah. with a bit of understanding themselves around that. So mm-hmm. not staying like purely CBT, you know, bringing existential therapy techniques or, yeah. you know, some, some stuff from, um, you know, other approaches as well. Yeah and there are others that they 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 come and they have something that is has been with them for years. Yeah. You know, that is more like a personality trait that has been working for them, let's say, up till their mid-20s. And now in their mid-40s, they realize that it's really affecting the way that they're relating to others. Right. Uh, You cannot treat something like that in 12 weeks, obviously. like uh,
1: like I discovered, like, with myself, you know, there's things that I knew for years that I wasn't quite happy about or something Mm. wasn't working. Mm. But, yeah, it was until I got into my 40s when I think hang on a second there that I'm just stopping me from... Doing what i could be doing
4: yes so,
1: yes yeah yeah
2: and i guess you know since since you acknowledge that yourself <laughs> yeah it didn't take 12 weeks <laughs> <it>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it might be you know different uh different modalities as well yeah. i might be seeing somebody for a while and then i might be suggesting that maybe you want to address this with something yeah. else or yeah. whatever it is uh so it's it's not just a matter of hours in the week uh yeah. And it's also that, you know, sometimes you you can get somebody who is really hard work. Yeah. It's somebody who has like a dual diagnosis, for example. Yeah. You know, I had a lady a few years back uh, who had uh, chronic eating disorder, mm. serious issues, plus what I came to realize after I saw her for one and a half year, we yeah. stayed together for three and a half years, I think, that there was a personality disorder behind that as right. well. Okay. Uh, so that... It was taking a lot of my time, Yeah. Uh, not just during the session, but the time that I needed afterwards to actually, you know, do her notes or, you know, process the way that I was feeling about things myself. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes supervision was enough, sometimes it wasn't enough. Mm. Things like that. So the more experience you have in this profession, I think the more... You find, and that's also something that I suggest to my students uh, when they're going out there for, you know, starting the private practices mm. and, st- uh, and things. Keep a balance between very complex cases mm. with loads of trauma, with, I don't know, like years of addiction or personality disorder or whatever, Yeah. with uh, what I call more personal development cases.
1: Yeah, okay. So kind of easier in terms of uh, intensity of work, as it were. Yes. obviously obviously, you know... You, not from each person's perspective, this, you know, to them it's going to be big, you know, just wanting to get of better. Course, but, but, of course, But in terms of the amount of energy you're putting into it.
2: Yes, and it's a different interaction. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a different end goal as well. I wouldn't say that I don't invest enough in my yeah. personal development clients. Yeah. I don't think that's fair on them and it's not fair yeah, on that's me. that's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, but, it's just, but I was just trying to work, at, work out the balance yes, yeah, yeah, you're talking b- about.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that uh it you invest the same, yeah. but you're doing very, very different work, yeah, okay. with them so the the energy that I invest might be similar because that's what I'm trained for to yeah. actually you know immerse in the story of the other and you know be there and be respectful and allowing them to discover themselves what it is, and you know all the techniques that we're using yeah. in this profession. But the actual type of energy I'm going to invest is going to be very, very different. Yeah. You know, if somebody has anger outbursts and um, very difficult presentations shifting from uh, full gratitude for the therapy we have together to shouting at me and things like that, that's a different load than, uh, you know, I need a different kind of energy kind of balancing than with somebody who is quite involved, is very cerebral, you know, we have a very intense intellectual conversation but has great difficulty addressing their feelings. So, again, you Mm. know, the amount of input I'm going to put in is, you know, in terms of um, quantity or proportion is the same, but the quality is different. Yeah.
1: Does this make sense? It does, yeah. But I guess, leading back to what you're saying about giving it as advice to your students is great because then it just keeps them sharp in all of the different ways Mm. of approaching and interacting with people. Absolutely, yeah.
2: and you know, at the end of the day, it's not just uh, it's not just about managing, you know, severe distress or aggression, or as opposed to you know somebody who is very high functioning, but uh, they cannot actually decide where they want to go with life and yeah. blah blah blah. It's staying curious with the multitude of human experience, yeah. really, and to me, it's also. Means a lot, you know. Just what we, what we say, it has become a motto nowadays as well. But I think it's very, very true. You know, curiosity rather than fear. Yeah. You know, so even if somebody's is really distressed, disturbed, whatever you want to call it, if you stay curious with them,
3: yeah,
2: you instill hope because you're doing something that others are not doing. Yeah. Out there in the world, you know, they're or just with them, yeah, yeah, or with them, yeah. yeah. You know, by default, they're going to just respond to them, as you know, as somebody who is, you know, like a lost case, cause, liability, whatever. But if you address things from a curious perspective, you know, it allows them to to go out of their own stereotypes, so to speak. And this is where therapy starts, let's say in more complex cases.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this point you've gotten to, how would you describe it? You've it, mentioned it a couple of times mm. as existential, and uh, how would yes. you describe it to someone who's not heard of it before? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I consider myself existential integrative uh, psychologist and psychotherapist, and if I were to describe that to somebody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> is is an approach that. Uh, focuses a lot on the present and tries to see anxiety not as a, not as a pathological state but yeah. as part of being alive yeah so you know it draws a lot from you know the existential thinkers in philosophy uh, looking at the angst that we're talking about yeah. that you know we are, we need to fill the void in our life think of the Edver, Edward Munch uh, picture of the yeah. scream you know until you find your way to actually make your life meaningful, or, you know, finding a purpose in life. Yeah, this anxiety that we have as as an existential given, yeah, you know, our existence is driven by that, because compared to the rest of the animal kingdom, let's say, we are aware of our own death. Yeah. So we are aware of life being uncertain. So there is something that, you know, it can be the motivating force of life, if we actually manage to channel it properly. Yeah. But if we if we don't, then it will become a symptom. Yeah. So that's the way that I would describe it to people. That uh, you know, it's it's an approach that uh, allows you to look at your problems not in a non-pathological way. Yeah. And we will try to find a way to understand the meaning you're giving to things and to explore other possibilities. Mm. So that that's the way that I would put it.
1: Oh, great! Yeah, yes. yeah, but yeah. Just put it
2: <laughs> good. <laughs> good. 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 And the integrative element is when I bring stuff from other approaches as well. So I'm not a purist, you know, I'm not yeah. just saying, you know, this is the only way to do it. And so, you know, I would be bringing some um, some elements of the more kind of what people associate with uh, the psychotherapy world, like Freud and uh, the psychodynamic theory and trying to understand how we developed particular personality traits or complexes or tensions yeah. in our past. Sometimes I will be using some of that in order to understand yeah. something, but it, my focus is it, not going to stay back there forever. Yeah. Let's say, yeah. or what we said about CBT. You know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going to say I'm not going to use CBT because I have this very kind of funky, yeah. uh, you know, non-mainstream approach that you know looks against labels and categories. Yes, sometimes people want a category I yeah. cannot ignore that you know so, so sometimes so, you know you get cases of people that they feel better if you tell them or you you've got suffer. This. yes yeah. you've got this <laughs> <laughs> you know it makes it more concrete
1: I, because it's uh, f- funny in society isn't it how other I was going to say people like but actually I think it's, uh, sometimes it feels imposed on us that we need to be defined by other for example something like our work you know people can yes. be defined by what they do they, like, yes. they need to ask you know what do you do or uh, there's some element that defines people and they want to, they want to know that rather than just than just being
2: absolutely absolutely yeah. and you know I think that we need to have you know we 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 need to have a relationship with that element too yeah. because you know that's why we developed language most probably you know evolutionary speaking why did we develop language in order to actually have some certainty around us and being able to name this as that and yeah. that as that, yeah. And as you said very well that, you know, when, when you meet somebody, yeah. usually the first two questions you're going to get is, uh, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. already two very, very clear categories yeah. there. Yeah. That help people at least, you know, at least monitor the suspiciousness, yeah, uncertainty. Yeah. the uncertainty. Cu- who is this? curiosity. Or yeah. curiosity, yeah. you know. Yes, since we mentioned the word curiosity <laughs> several times. Uh, so we do need some categorization but there's
1: something something familiar in that so I guess wanting to know if they're they feel like someone's feeling like they're suffering from something is yeah good for them to know if it's if it has a definition perhaps
2: yeah and I mean you know if we are to just leave the you know the the vicissitudes of the psyche uh, aside for a minute think of uh, when you need to go to your GP yeah good point (laughs) (laughs) you know you, you want an answer yeah so yeah. I'm not going to just ignore that if, if it's important for somebody. Yeah. But I would not, ju- my approach in general is not that I will uh, use that all the time as a rule of thumb. Sure. Because then you're just, you know, you, you're just looking at things very, very medically, very, very clinically. And the soul is much more complex than a physical symptom anyway. Uh, this brings
1: us back to the, you know, your journey to get here because yes. of all the different things you've learned. And this is exactly. why you've, you've kept changing direction, not changing direction as such, because it's all broadly the same direction, uh, mm. but uh, just all the different strings to your bow you've added. So how do you find the results that you're getting now with the people with it?
2: <laughs> Interesting question. People like working with me, and that's really nice to see. Uh, the results are that people very, very often quite amazed that they start the journey of psychotherapy in order to just get rid of something yeah <laughs> and they they end up knowing more about themselves in a more kind of holistic fashion. That's uh,
1: interesting you put it that way, and that because i I guess. So how how do you describe that? They come to see you to let go of something, you say, or uh, because what I was going to, what came to me was that I wanted to fix something.
2: Yes, 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 very much. Yeah, I I said uh, get rid, but yes, it's the same thing. Uh,
1: But then, in hindsight, it's probably the wrong kind of expression for it because you know it's still part of me. Yes, yes. And so yeah, so you then you you said it perfectly that in in the end, because it's natural then that in the end of the process. They to learn more about themselves. So instead of letting go of something or fixing something, all they've done is learn more about themselves and then embraced everything.
2: Embraced everything, embraced who they are, you know, the how they can be in the world, uh, you know, just being gentler with them, themselves as well as to, you know, how they engage in, you know, in social situations and things like yeah. that. You know, trusting themselves a little bit more. So yeah. I would say that the result is is that. Yeah. Because the symptom Usually goes away pretty quick, yeah. Usually, yeah. You know, I mean, I think we, we discussed already the distinction between something that is a personality trait that has yeah. been with somebody throughout their lives as opposed to you know a symptom like you know, like an anxiety issue, or, yeah, or, or, or an impulse issue like you know, being addicted to something, and things yeah. like that. Um, so usually that. That you can manage pretty quickly is what you do with somebody after the symptom is gone, yeah you know this thing that the tendency to either get rid of something or fix something, and yeah. then okay, for sure you know you, there is some space created from that, and then yeah. uh, what do you do with this space? How do you feel your existence going back to the notion of uh, you know existential therapy
3: yeah
2: How, you know when that is gone
3: yeah,
2: what will you do with uh, with the uh, with the space that you have created? your ah. personality, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully expand into it and then create something positive and that, something you can build with your life.
2: Yes, exactly. and also Or build you, in your life. Build in your life and also, you know, you create more possibilities. Yeah. You know, because whatever behavior or personality trait uh, somebody comes to work with, Yeah. this was filling up time. Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. You know, in many ways. So when that is not there, of course it's still part of somebody. Yeah. Yes, because they experience that. But you know, it goes yeah. back to what we we're saying, the thing, you know, where we put the the weight in terms of the scales, you know, past yeah. or present. Yes, it's going to be with you all, always. Yeah. You know, what what brought me to this profession, what particular difficulty brought me to this yeah. profession, it's always going to be with me.
3: Yeah.
2: For sure. But the space that I have created, not engaging in that particular behavior that I was engaging back in my youth, yeah. allowed me to explore different ways of relating to others, checking what I want to do with my life, or things like that. Yeah, I will never be completely free from that, or, you know, I will never get rid of that completely, yeah, was, right? I mean,
1: likewise, yeah. Yeah. But are able to give your focus and attention to positive and constructive st- steps forward into yeah. a pursuit or journey into a, you know the next phase of your life.
2: Absolutely, or or whenever something one of our demons revisits us. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to be fair and <laughs> honest. Yeah. At least you have more more self awareness and more knowledge as to how to approach this. Yes. So, you, because we all have tendencies, you know, some of us are more anxious, some of us are more introverted, some yeah. of us are, you know, more addiction prone. Yeah. More, some of us are more depression prone. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. So, you, I think it's 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 quite important actually to stress that out. That you know, it it it's not a panacea. You know, it's not going to just go completely. Oh, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course.
2: But for sure, it it will create you enough space. You whoever plural to actually explore different ways of relating. Yeah. And whenever it lurks back in, you can you can invite it yeah. to actually have a chat with it, yeah. to realize what's going on. Yeah. Jung used to say for depression that uh, consider uh, i don't know if i'm citing this right or not but the meaning is there yeah. yes so uh, yeah probably i'm paraphrasing <laughs> that if uh, if depression knocks on your door yeah and it's this kind of uh it con- it's it's like a figure you know i remember that there was a figure next to the quote dark skinny figure mm. uh, like um like an old aunt or yeah. something yeah and and he said you know if if that old aunt old skinny aunt anyway yeah. Uh, knocks on your door just uh, don't shut the door in panic
3: yeah
2: invite her in for a cup of tea and listen to what she has to say yeah and I find that quote brilliant yeah because it's not you know I think that this is why people uh, quite often you know they they despair themselves after the first time that they had therapy and it didn't work
3: yeah
2: that since this didn't go away, yeah. I might as well not engage in a journey of self-discovery yeah. at all. Yeah, and it's a shame because <laughs> because we, we you know we we all unique and even our dark uh, dark sides yeah uh, they have something to to tell us and also something to give you know to others as well in a sense you yeah, know yeah really because
1: there's a kind of a shared experience and exactly. also something that people uh, will have felt. Mm. And uh, they've just not heard it from somebody else before, and that's kind of reassuring to know that it's a shared exactly, experience. Exactly,
2: exactly, exactly. And um, it's interesting you you brought that up because one of the main functions in uh, in uh, group therapy sessions is exactly that: is that the what Yalom talks about, the installation of hope, that happens because of that realizing that we're not alone in this. Yeah. It's not. It's not just me who is experiencing this. You know, there, there are other people as well, and that alone yeah. instills hope in people.
1: Yeah, yeah, and to know that, uh, yeah, it's not. It's not just you. That's just a huge you know, part of lots of you know perspectives on life.
2: Yes, very much so.
1: Yeah. So does that, that bring us on to? Uh any changes you felt in terms of the people you've seen mm. over time? Has there been any comparison with, uh, I guess this kind of relates to as we're maybe getting, getting on to how any changes in the world as a whole? Um, but yes, yeah, so I have things change with the people you've seen from back then to now.
2: Yeah, I have to say that uh, when we were the when we were preparing for uh, for this uh, chat, yeah, and you mentioned that you were interested also to see, you know, the differences uh, yeah. uh, with regards to people's mental health then and now, let's say. Yeah. You know, I found that question fascinating. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are so many levels you can, you know, you can approach this with, mm-hmm. and I will try to be brief. Overall, I would say that loads of things have not changed. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, the the difficulty that people have admitting that something is not working yeah you know in their personality traits in uh in the way that they work out their relationships or the way that they are at work whatever it yeah. is that hasn't changed yeah <laughs> uh, that much yeah but on the other hand for sure you know compared to when i started yeah there is an extra acceptance and understanding of what the helping professions do yeah. so you know it, there is less of a stigma. Okay. Uh, as to getting help. Yeah. And that is something that has to do also with, you know, successful let's say campaigns around mental health in general and yeah. you know, raising awareness and reducing the stigma and what have you. That's the positive bit, <laughs> um, but for sure, still there is. I think that this is going to take, uh, you know, uh, generations to actually really, really be open about yeah. this. That's uh, and and also, you know, in a, in a, you know in every day, like you know, the, the tendency we have a small talk and you know, not yeah. saying you know where we are exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, you know, <laughs> you're taking a big breath. Uh, yeah.
1: Because uh, I guess I have a kind of this uh, trait of when I see people of saying, how are you doing? I probably say it a couple of times when there are really points of mm. when we're talking and it feels like I'm kind of repeating myself. But, yeah, I, I do kind of want to break through that sometimes and yes. see how people are doing. Yes, really,
2: really doing. <laughs> yes, not just yeah. talk about the weather or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think that this is going to take a while. Um, but for sure, you know, compared to how it was... I don't know late 90s let's say mm. it's it's different yeah. you know, before it was like uh, you know you had people saying why do you think I'm mad yeah. and I need help yeah. uh, well, now people will realize that you know it's not you know you don't have to be completely you know out in touch out of touch with reality in order to actually go and see somebody and yeah. you know have like a safe confidential space to talk about things yeah that's on a positive note on a more negative note
3: yeah.
2: I would say that People are much more anxious. Yeah. They are much more insecure. And that is is not just to do with their internal state, yeah. obviously. Yeah. It has to do with the the way that the world is going in yeah. general. You know what you know the the there is more insecurity in general that that will tap into existing, let's say, traumas or difficulties and things like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean an example that came to mind is that uh, uh, over the weekend at the Latitude Festival I spoke to an artist and we were talking about his writing process and how much of it has been cathartic mm. uh, but we kind of got onto a, a subject with uh, music that he says the music he listened to a lot of the, the music he listens to to relax came before 9-11 mm, and interesting. the music the music, s- the music that, that has been created since then at least the styles of music he listens to uh, since then has been different mm. and uh, you know like when I w- was talking to you about this interview uh, when I kind of mentioned around this topic, one of the differences I noticed in myself the past couple of years is living in London and outside London. Yes. In, in nature, it's just obviously different, and of in course. London, uh, it, it's course. always been in more in a more intense frequency. Yes. But uh, I, as I noticed, as I walk around a bit recently, there is something else—a different edge to a kind of anxiety, or Absolutely. it's not just the fast pace and you know people outside London. I think Londoners are. Uh, not friendly. I don't think that's true because if you break the ice with someone, you know most people are friendly here. But there is this kind of shield people put up when they're out and about. Yes. But there is just a different something Vibrations. else. Yeah, something yeah. else is going on for sure.
2: Well, yes, and you know even if you consider the you know the recent events. Yeah. You know acid attacks, the Grenfell yeah. Tower. Yeah. You know the, the the how often would you hear helicopters after the after the terrorist incidents and things like that? Of course, people are going to actually internalize that. Yeah. And uh, and also, you know, financial security and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's that's what came to mind. There's pressures now, and the cost of living. That's a big one. You know, that's I think that seems to be the biggest thing when you speak Mm. to people now is how much they have to to survive, or what how how much things cost, and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and I think that this is this is where I'm taking my profession out there in the world. Somehow, yeah, it's one thing uh, working. You know, I, I think I said this earlier in our conversation as well. In private practice with people who can afford yeah. paying, you know, the the amount of fee that, you know, I still have a sliding scale, but yeah. it's a lot of money. Yeah,
1: of course. It's a lot of yeah. money,
2: uh, as opposed to somebody who cannot afford this. Yeah. And that's why back uh, a few years back, I, you know, I was seeing uh, people on the more or less, let's say the, the lowest kind of average yeah. of therapies, healing, treatments, whatever, you know. But, but I'm, I'm just, you know, staying and I still have a sliding scale. But still that was uh, was not something that uh, other people could afford at all. Yeah. And that's why I was uh, doing these sessions in the community center and, you, you know, starting with £5 an hour. Yeah. But I cannot live on £5 an yeah, hour, Yeah, so obviously. you have to get to
1: a point in your life where it can be sustainable for you to S- b- provide it.
2: Yeah, and I think that this is where, you know, it's where each therapist's own ideology and politics and things yeah, like that, exactly. I, will, I will be coming in. Yeah. You know, I've got friends who just work in the... Just, I shouldn't say just, because that's not fair. But they, they work in the NHS, yeah. and, uh, and they don't have a private practice because they believe in, you know, just giving more... Yeah. ...straight into, you know, into the community through the you know the NHS as a free provider. Free provision, yeah. Yeah, and the free provision. But at the same time that that comes with very, very long waiting lists. Yeah. And you know the
1: big workload.
2: Big workload and people who at times as well, by the time that they are seen, the 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 whole kind of caseload has um, the 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 no the case characteristics have has changed.
3: Yeah.
2: And then are you doing really good or are you doing more harm than good yeah. because you know the the real trauma was like 18 months ago yeah
1: yeah i mean i did that was one of the angles i l- looked at and it wasn't that long fortunately but it's still a good two or three months yes and uh you know after, i was wondering at that time you know the, the you first speak to them there's a you know, series of questions they ask mm. and i don't know if uh, there's a difference in the waiting list if you say you know i am suicidal and you know yes, what, yes. you know what, would you get sorted out or see someone sooner i don't know uh, very possibly. Okay.
2: Very possibly, and uh, this is this goes back to the categories that we're talking okay. about. If you think about it, <laughs> yeah. And you know, some some people would be even people who have been part of the mental health system for a very long time. They would be using things like that, even if they're not suicidal at yeah. times, in order to get the attention of professionals faster, which is really sad because yeah. it shouldn't be like that. You know the, but this is where we're at. You know, austerity cuts. There you it's go. It's kind of
1: like that even senior GP that uh yes. that uh, people because you have the get a normal appointment or or see him tomorrow the thing you have to say to see him tomorrow is something oh yes yeah, a big problem.
2: Yes. Yeah, well well but since you mentioned the GP when I when I first actually changed GP because I was unhappy a few years back uh, with my GP further down the road and I moved to another practice up here because they they still had, like, drop-in and um, you, know, you could see the GP on an emergency appointment yeah. and see your own GP and not somebody from the triage team. Yeah. And these were my reasons that why I moved to this practice. Yeah. And then, like, see, I think six months down the line, all this went. Yeah. And then if I, if I don't have an emergency now and I ask for an appointment, usually I will get an appointment in... Two weeks, 10 yeah. and wow. between ten and fifteen days, which yeah. is horrendous. <laughs> it's horrendous.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's no point, really.
2: Yeah, there's no point, really. Yeah. Um, so th- this is kind of the, you know, if we are to take the macro, yeah, uh, societal kind of factors that yeah. affect, you know, how people are and how they, you know, what sort of presentations you get nowadays and things like that. Yeah. I feel I should also I don't know how much time we have. Um no, it, yeah. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I know that there, there are lots of professionals in the IAPT service that they have taken a lot into consideration what problems people bring yeah. and they try to diversify a little bit how they how they do that compared to when IAPT was introduced. But there is a tendency in the IAPT services to mm. just Categorize everything as either anxiety or depression. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you say that. You say that with some conviction. So I guess you you can relate to that. I um, well, no,
1: just uh, I can understand why they yes. why that is. You know that you know, or you know, I can believe that happening basically. Yes. Yeah.
2: But I find that extremely problematic.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many different facets to exactly how people are and how you know wh- why they are like that. Yeah,
2: and this is where you're missing the person. Behind the presentation, yeah, and this is you know speaking of this you know the notion of categories as you know part of a linguistic yeah <laughs> exactly. mantle as humans <laughs> that we do need it, but at the same time you know can it can be used and can be abused as anything else. And when you're just using these two big overarching categories, yeah, it's very easy to to miss yeah. the person, the story. And, you know, and I believe also that it creates a lot of bias for professionals as well. Yeah. And now I'm going to see, you know, an anxiety case. Yeah. I'm going to see a depression yeah. case. Uh.
1: It is, yeah. So it's that layer of how the definition is applied. Whereas I guess when you go see someone perhaps on a private basis yes. who has uh, experience yes. in more of the yes. uh, different facets of uh, therapy or ways of seeing people, they're mm. able to see them and say, okay, they're like this because of this this and this it's not it's not just one no it's definition. not ju-
2: yes it's not just one definition and i think that this is where when you ask me about my approach the integrative element is yeah, coming in you Yeah. Know, integrating elements of different uh, therapeutic approaches or theories as well into yeah. that you know realizing that okay my main modality is existential i trained in this yeah. and i i you know i made a very conscious choice training in this as opposed to something else but uh, at the same time, if I just stay with that, you know, I might miss also the other person's needs yeah. that they're coming through in the way that they're talking about, Yeah, you know, their stories, their symptoms, whatever. So, yeah, I think it's very, you know, th- th- that's, that's the privilege of private practice. Yeah. Let's face it, that yeah. you can actually do that. Yeah. I should say that, uh, you know, th- there have been, there are services around that they provide uh low cost private hmm. uh, therapy as well um and i i just referred somebody uh to a low cost counseling service in Croydon for okay. example so th- there are ways around it yeah. but people will have to look for it's them it's a
1: bit made, not so obvious no
2: it's not so obvious you know there you know that tends to be like a again a categorical distinction yeah. between like uh nhs with a waiting list of 3 months if you're lucky or yeah. more and uh, and private practice where you have to actually add that to your stress of London life yeah. and uh, finances, <laughs> but then at least have, yeah. the, have the luxury of, you know, going into depth and taking as much mm. time as you need with, with things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At least the uh, option is there, which is a g- yes. g- good way to see it.
2: Absolutely. And some of us, including myself, you know, we operate on sliding scales for that yeah. reason. And for yeah. me as well, I think that one of... I mentioned the burnout burnout earlier but it it was not just a matter of burnout I think it was also making sure that I I make my money elsewhere as well like in yeah. teaching yeah and then I can provide even free counseling in my community involvement mm. and things like that okay now I'm I'm I am i i i have got quite a bit on my plate you know because I'm completing a big writing project as well and yeah. things like that but overall you know, I would provide free counseling yeah. because I make enough money through teaching if and you're my able private to. practice. Yeah, but that's my ideology. Yeah. you know, you, can, you know, you can get other practitioners that they would never do that.
3: Yeah,
2: or others that they prefer to just you know be in the NHS and you know just just do that and provide from that. Yeah, there, there are different ways around it, and I think you know that that goes back to you know one's one's personal values, ethos, politics. Well, I mean, it's that. good
1: then that people, there are the range of people yes. that uh, yes. are able to provide it from each different angle. So that...
2: Well absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, we all we always need to remember that the, the therapeutic relationship is, again, a relationship. Right? Yeah. You know, the, there are matches and there are mismatches. Yeah. You know, you will have to actually check what works for you. Yeah. And not from just both sides. From both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because I, you know, that's also something that I say again to my students quite a bit. It's like the first session in particular, yeah. and sometimes two, three sessions in. It's it's a mutual assessment.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: You know, we're both assessing each other. Can we actually work together? Because. Yeah. You know, it's a trust exercise. Yeah. counselling is a trust exercise.
1: I've noticed that from providing massages is that there's been times where it probably it wasn't going to work from both sides, but mm. I, there's been times maybe I knew I'd see somebody once mm. and that'd be fine. But then for, for longer periods of time, you you knew you know that it's not going to work. That you're, yes. you're you know you're not the right one for them or yes, uh, and or it's just not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, the two of you together. So it's good to be able to have a uh, a means of being able to spot that in that first session to. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. to
2: analyze it absolutely absolutely yeah. and, and also i think it's an exercise in humility as yeah. well <laughs> thinking that yeah you don't yes. have all the answers there yes. then you, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh great yeah yeah fantastic chat
1: yeah fantastic yes. so uh, yeah i really enjoyed it so uh i think, I think we've you know covered everything you know yeah. just uh you know are you are you optimistic do you how do you th- see things unfolding i mean that's kind of a big question to throw at you at the end there <laughs> oh, but
2: that, that's, that's another interview altogether isn't but then it?
1: Uh, you know so you're you, you you happy, f- you happy right now so you know you said you're, you, know, you you had this sort of workload and these you know a bit of juggling going on.
2: I'm happy right now. Uh, I have this big quest as to how I can use utilize this knowledge to raise ecological awareness for people in communities. Okay that's that's my big aspiration. I'm quite optimistic about that. It's still quite fuzzy, you know. I'm not, you know, it's not clear. Obviously,
1: but as one thing I've known about you for quite a long time, because Mm. you are on top of things like this. For example, this recent uh, Grenfell Tower. Yes, there is this group for complementary therapists that were doing things like this, and you are you are you are on the case with that. So you know you you are at the forefront of what, from my perspective, uh, of things like this, which is great.
2: Yes. Well, I I believe in people, and I believe in human connection. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah I think it's quite important like to to stay engaged yeah you not know, not to just get into into a routine of then you know just dehumanizing yourself and then you're just doing this because out of habit exactly you know? it's, yeah that yeah i am I'm, I'm very good at that yeah you know it's no it's there's
1: more and plus more you can learn about yourself as well yes, by doing it yeah. yes yes more, yeah in that kind of environment and
2: absolutely recognizing your own limits yeah. since, since you brought that up with, with Grenfell tower is we all need to actually acknowledge again when we are ready to actually serve and when we're not yeah uh, and you know that and that's why it was quite important to have like a team around us yeah. of people to actually support each other as well before we could support somebody else and i think that that's
1: and somebody who comes from that yes. experience yes well thank you thanks for your time and uh, thank you for the conversation it's something, it kind of went as i did not know quite what to expect. I knew it'd be nice and I knew uh, you'd be sharing lots of information about yourself and what you're doing and uh, I'm really grateful. Thank you.
2: I'm very grateful that you've given me the time to actually share <coughs> that with uh, with you uh, and actually reflect on where I'm at at this particular moment in time as well. Thank yeah. you very much for the opportunity.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. I know that for myself, like you know, these times when things haven't been so good for me in the past, it's kind of coincided and probably been partly to do with being kind of isolated or, isolated yes. or isolating myself. And it's mm. only mm. as uh, I've gotten out, out and about again and f- feeling better that you re- realize, hang on a second, it's from the conversations, from the reflections that uh, things are helped, <laughs> basically.
2: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think that this is this is something that we, it's very, very easy to forget. Since yeah. And I think we're just revisiting the last question for And also moment. what we're
1: talking about in London as well. Like how, yes. sort of these people we see that, you know this difference in vibration or frequency being in London is that we're surrounded by people, but so many people are alone.
3: Yes,
2: yes, very much so, very much.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, that has those fun those ways of encouraging people to get out and meet people. That's one way that can absolutely. help them. Yeah,
2: absolutely, and uh, you know, just just engage in. The, we all need to be recognized. Yeah, and you cannot do that uh, when you're. Just in your flat or in your room and yeah. uh, you you don't dare going out and you know yeah. even saying hello to you know the grocery store man uh, or woman or whatever yeah, exactly Do you know what I mean yeah, yeah it's and and, uh, and and that that's part of our challenge in big cities anyway yeah you know it's, it's part of the nature of it I guess yes, being there yeah yes very much so uh and so you know I think we you know by doing things like that and even having a conversation like that also for you know, um, the Phoenix uh, listeners yeah. as well. It's just you know, just just reminding ourselves, yeah. you know, how important it is to actually reach out. We all need some time to recharge in solitude. No yeah. question about that. Oh, for sure, but
1: there's a balance, isn't there? But there uh, is a balance, yeah, yeah.
2: and usually, what happens is that you know, with more insecurity, uh, in, in you know, in times like this, then it's it's very very easy to just. Uh, you know, just just retreat completely in yeah. isolation rather than just retreat to recharge and then go out and reconnect.
1: I think what I did was uh, it's like a big pendulum swing swinging. Mm. I was too far the other way. I was mm. out and about too often yes. for too long. And then what I ended up doing is swinging too far the other way. I've come doing nothing for too long. And so yes. slowly then the pendulum swings yes. are less and less. And yes. so I'm finding that balance now between... Yes in and out yeah in and out retreating
2: and uh, reconnecting basically yeah Yeah. exactly Yeah. yeah Yeah. I can totally relate to that
1: yes <laughs> yes yes. and uh, so yeah that's why I'm grateful uh, and happy to be you know, resurrecting this Mental Health Matters podcast for Phoenix because this is kind of the conversation that I wanted mm. to get out uh, for the listeners so uh, so I'm glad that this is the first one and I'm looking forward to seeing how it's going to continue
2: well looking forward to seeing how it's going to continue as well you know, <laughs> keep me posted please I will do yes. yeah you'll
1: be uh, yeah, first to know so you'll yeah, be all posted and stuff on the Phoenix FM website and okay. uh, all the episodes and yeah looking forward to how it's going continue. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Graham. Fantastic. <laughs> So now hopefully you've got an idea of the nature of this podcast. I really enjoyed recording that conversation and we covered a lot of what I'd like to be sharing during these episodes. It was perhaps quite a long conversation. I wasn't quite sure what to edit out, but that one with Elizabeth and what you will hear shortly with Colin Wade where we touch on quite a lot of topics, I think is a great way to launch into this series, where we will then zero in on specific areas in more detail. I enjoyed ending that uh, conversation with Elizavet with a beautiful first song this episode by Snatham Kaur, Dandan Dan Ram Dasgur, from her Mother's Blessing album of 2005. There'll be another song by her at the end of the show. Now, it's a pleasure to share the conversation I recorded last week here in Brentwood with Colin Wade of Brentwood Mind. As you will hear, it was a bit of a scattergun approach in terms of the topics we covered. But in tune with the nature of this first episode, as I said, and also with the nature of his work and the work of Brentwood Mind, with the number and variety of people they see and how much work they have to do to keep the organization going, as you will hear now.
0: Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM.
1: So uh, grateful to be getting the uh, Phoenix FM Mental Health Matters podcast up and running and what better way to help with this uh, first episode is to be here with you, Colin Wade. It's a really yeah, wonderful for pleasure to meet me. you. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah, uh, it's a great idea because, and uh, you work with Brentwood Mind, and so I wanted to find out more about Brentwood Mind, the organisation, and uh, your background and what brought yeah. you here to be here.
4: Sure. Well, Brentwood Mind's been around for about forty years, so we've been helping people in the sort of local area forty years with you know things like anxiety, depression. There's been loads and loads of changes in the last few years. that We'll, we'll chat about. Aren't yeah. Sure. I got into it via youth work. I was a qualified youth worker, so I'd had experience working with teenage kids with their problems, be it drugs, alcohol, sexual abuse, self harm. Uh,
1: Yeah, so uh, you said like it was on the local area around here in Brentwood and the villages and everything.
4: Yeah, I used to um, when I was a youth worker. I used to go out. We used to have a big van. Some of the kids that couldn't access the centre in the town. Who live out some of the villages five six miles away? There's no bus service. We used to go out in the evening, taking information out to them. Yeah. Uh, so again, it was you know, sexual health, drug related issues, and so we'd go out once a week, and sometimes that was the only sort of contact these kids had with with the town and and, and information. So it was very rewarding. And as I say when I came to Brentwood Mind. I'd run a drop in for for these kids over in, at the youth service, so um, we had a drop in at Brentwood Mine, so where people could come, you know, with mental health problems. Yeah. Um, but that's all changed over the last few years, and we will we'll chat.
1: So you, obviously it's something you've you're naturally good at, I can see you're naturally good at, and you've so you come through the, the music side of it, and you found that a good way of connecting Definitely. with people. Definitely, well, I've been and a, a
4: musician, you know, for many many years, and I still am. I still write now and, and record and put music out music again you know, again great therapy for mental health you know yeah again um but um yeah I, I really came through the youth work is the way that I got in, into being a sort of a, a mental health worker at mine really rewarding job yeah. you know uh some days I, I walk out of here thinking I've really done some good here you know yeah. and you've touched people other days I, I'm you know it's you know can be quite harrowing
1: yeah, because we've um, mentioned it a couple of times, so we might as well tackle it now because some of the frustrations that come up if they're directly related to the bureaucracy and actually how things are working. And uh, so well, we can go down the funding route. <laughs> if we're going to talk about
4: bureaucracy, I mean, we used to be block funded by the NHS. Yeah, who gave us a sum of money? I mean, you know, it sounds like a lot, but it wasn't when you had to run a building, pay wages, resources. Uh, We had about seven or eight staff. And then about two years ago, that funding was cut overnight, completely gone. Uh, Completely gone. Completely gone. So all our NHS funding went. I think it was 2015, which means that now I'm having to spend more time going out, fundraising, uh, approaching companies to sponsor us, to do corporate events uh, like golf days and dinner dances. So I'm doing more money, actually, uh, more money, I wish I had more money, yeah. I'm spending more time fundraising than I'm actually seeing people. We had six or seven staff, as I said, but we're now down to two full-time staff yeah. and one part-time uh, staff. And we have counsellors come in. So, I mean, we have two strands of work here. We have ca- a counselling service. And we have a well-being service. Uh, the well-being service pl- sort of make it easier is like if you've got anxiety about filling in forms or going to a psychiatrist yeah. appointment, we'd accompany you or we'd help you. You know, if you're too anxious to make a phone call about your gas bill. Yeah. Counselling is more straightforward. You come in for an hour and, and it goes into depth yeah. of your problems. This all used to be free. Yeah. Two years ago, you know, I'd see, se- you know, in an eight-hour day, I'd, I'd see seven people, yeah. for, you know, an hour. Yeah. Um, but now we're having to charge yeah. because we have no funding. Yeah, uh, it goes against the grain with me. It's not what I came into this to do. Yeah, isn't you know to me it's not a business. But if we don't charge now, we won't be here at all.
1: And there must be more people in Brentwood as well. I've been driving through today, and the, since being back on Phoenix the past few months, I've noticed it getting
4: bigger. So there's probably more people to help. When you think about. It, I don't know what the population of Brentwood is. If it's Fifty thousand, yeah. and, and the and the statistics are one in four. Yeah, twelve and a half thousand people with some sort of mental health problem, being you know anxiety, depression, and eating disorder. Yeah, all looking for help. The the NHS do have a counselling service. If you can go to your GP if you're feeling depressed, and they'll signpost you to a thing called therapy for you. Yeah. The waiting Yeah, list. I've been through that. You've yeah. been through that. How yeah. long did you wait? Nine months? A year? I no, I was lucky in
1: South End. It was literally only a couple of months. Oh, it was right. Still, you know, it's a long good. chunk of time. If someone is in desperate need, wow, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Well, yeah. we've
4: heard, you know, it's stories where people have come to us of, it, of nine months. Which, right. if, if you're in pretty dire circumstances, nine months is is just not good enough. Yeah. So, at least at Brentwood Mind, you can come in, do a referral, mm-hmm. and we can start you counselling and talking therapies almost immediately okay. the, the following week. Yeah. So although we're having to charge it's not a huge amount at least it's it's straight away.
1: Yeah, so what, what were the, some of those statistics you read out um before like you're saying about you know one in four people having mental health issues Yeah, we were what saying so
4: one in four people will struggle with mental health in their lifetime.
1: Is this uh, locally or is these just figures no, from uh, uh, Mind?
4: These are these are local some of these are actual local figures I'm just reading them off here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and one in I think this is national, but I think it'll be pretty much the same all over. Yeah. Uh, one in 15 attempts suicide Yeah. or attempt with a suicide idea in their lifetime. And this is what an interesting one. One out of five sick days is for a mental health yeah. reason. That's quite a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that can be based on lots of things related to pe-
4: issues people have with work. You know, how many times stress, do you hear? Money, yeah, stress, yeah. You know, having a boss who's getting on your back. Exactly. You know, we've all been there, you know. Yeah. There's 8.2 million cases of anxiety in the UK, of which 80% are women. Right. So um, 75% of suicide is men aged between 20 and 48.
1: It's almost becoming an epidemic on these levels, isn't it?
4: Yeah. I have a friend who actually uh, runs an online group um, who has suffered from depression all his life. And it's an online Facebook group purely for men yeah with depression and i you know i joined it he's a good friend of mine and seeing the stories on there is quite amazing it, i'll i'll send you over a link because yes, i think please. it'd be good um and he's gone on and the radio and, and done interviews about it saying that the amount of messages he's getting from men saying you know i didn't know you know men sometimes not the best people at
1: well exactly i mean there's a p- part of it isn't it there's a whole sections of it i want to go to on the podcast about that about how you know or the issues that men have in communicating their feelings, yep. and uh, and this is what this whole Facebook yeah.
4: group is about. So I'll 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 pass that on to you because yeah, he thank might you. be a good person to have a chat to.
1: Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, thanks. Because yeah, I was going to touch on male suicide and uh, any issues you've seen with that uh, locally in, in, within your work. We have done. Yeah. Obviously,
4: can't go into your specific
1: specifics, specifics yeah. but
4: I mean, yes, I mean, in the work and and the, and sort of the counselling that's going on here yeah you're hearing it more and more yeah we say it's it's uh but then men are opening up their feelings more and i think as we become more aware of it
1: and it seems like the atmosphere and environment has changed where men are aware that what they have to share will be received okay yeah and without it's a doubt. Be...
4: well and also i mean um there's also that stigma of walking through the door of anywhere that's to do with mental health yeah. i think people are getting over that I think yeah the one plus thing is, I think that mental health isn't such a the bad thing anymore. You yeah. You it's you know, is it's it's not wrong to talk about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I was chatting to you beforehand. I mean, I've had clients here. I've had a you know professional footballer mm. who's been used to playing in front of a lot of people. I've had models. It's it's. It's not a certain type of people that have yeah. mental. It's all of us. Exactly, and I think we're all on the spectrum, and yeah. I know me
1: included. This makes you wonder again. These are the kind of topics I want to dive into and investigate and research more and share, is because there must be reasons why this is. You know, there's yeah. something within society. There's something in, within our environment. There's something within the way that things. Well, are I think running. it's you
4: know as we were talking about in the workplace, yeah. sort of financial pressures. Yeah, there's that. You've only got to look online, you know, yeah. on Facebook at, at photos of, of girls pouting, yeah. body image. Yeah, if that's not you, that, yeah. that perfect-looking body, how does that make you feel the about pressure yourself?
1: Pressure is on social media for that perspective, needing, needing to share things about yourself to feel validated,
4: absolutely. How many likes you get? Yeah, you know, does that is that a good thing? About yeah, like these,
1: there's all these do- little dopamine hits we get from that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think the internet's great. I think social media is great, certainly for things like this. And get, But I think there's a lot of negatives to it. Well, this is,
1: yeah, I'm starting to doubt some of the benefits, to be honest, because of these things I can come from that. And the, the attention is different. The way we communicate is different. Now more people are used to messaging rather than... Actually even speaking. E- yeah, speaking even on the phone or, you know, yep. only 20% of
4: communication is verbal. Everything else is all the... And going feelings. on from that, it's the things like online bullying. Yeah. I mean... Um, the amount of cases of people that you know I've seen here, and I know that counsellors have, where they've been bullied at school. But bullying is different now; it's not you know just name calling. It's online. It's twenty four seven now. Yeah.
1: It because it's not, you can get ping, ping, ping pings. Ping, ping, yeah, ping. these little messages through.
4: You know, and that has a terrible effect on your, your self course. confidence. Yeah. And, and and you know I've seen it here.
1: Yeah, and people like are terrified if they slip up by posting something or something gets posted on their Facebook feet or whatever then people see it and then it's like the world could end or something absolutely yeah not which get se- yet. Absolutely, which seems crazy what is the nature of you say counselling here what's the nature of it is it, is it just like listening sharing absolutely the, it's a, a talking be, therapy yeah
4: I mean counselling you know goes in quite deep it might be as we just said about bullying you might be a 40 year old guy now who had terrible experiences at school yeah bullied um, hit your self-confidence and that's affected you all your life and I think these things are deep rooted and Sometimes you don't, you can't put closure on it, and I think that's what counseling can help you to get yeah. closure like a bereavement. You may not have got over the you know, passing of your father or grandfather, yeah. and you're carrying that with you. Yeah, I think counseling can help you maybe put closure on, on things and help you to move on.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what again, what I wanted to investigate over the you know episodes of the podcast is learn more about these different types of help because. I've also been hearing about CBT, where yep. it's all about what, hap- what you do in the moment now yep. and changing your behavior to m- move you forward. But then Absolutely. if there's unresolved things, because i that's one thing I looked at as well, which is great. Oh, there's all, the, all these little NLP a- angles to make your yep. behavior good now and what you're doing now. But if there's things that aren't resolved, deep-rooted.
4: suppressed. Yeah, deep-rooted.
1: Because uh, what I found really useful is the inner child work of John Bradshaw, for example, I don't right. know if you're aware of him, and for that to... Uh, you know, be healed and released then you move on from it and absolutely so, yeah, it's putting closure about, on it yeah, and, and exactly. managing
4: it uh, a very good book is, is it the man's search for meaning the victor frankl book yeah which i found you know i thought oh god this is going to be really heavy duty read because he obviously he survived concentration camp. yeah and he, jordan peterson i think uh, recommends that book yeah great yeah. book it's called logotherapy is the therapy that he went right. on to bound a really really good book and, and written quite simply Another good one that um, we've been passing around here, I know it sounds silly, is a book by Ruby Wax. Okay. Called Frazzled. Okay. Which is, she's now a doctor of mindfulness. Right. Uh, Mindfulness, I think, is a great practice. You know, you, you can block things out by being in the now yeah, I've done um,
1: meditation practices Absolutely Vipassana, which is a very similar thing I'm not sure about the phrase mindfulness Because in some ways you want to be mind-empty Absolutely <laughs> But it's but being guess, mindful of what's going on Yeah, being you know, either your attention in your body Or what's happening around yeah. you are feeling yourself on the chair and, and
4: while you're doing that You're not thinking all those other negative thoughts that are spinning round
1: exactly that's what I say to people when I'm uh, doing my massage therapy and treatments is that uh, you know just bringing your attention to your body lying on the table what's being worked on the breath
4: it the breath yeah. is important I, I used to I haven't done so much I used to be really into yoga right and I found it in an hour of yoga I Used to come out feeling completely different. Yeah. Right in the zone for that hour, nothing else mattered.
1: Because if you're doing it, well, if I say correctly, there's probably different ways yeah. of doing it, but uh, if your, your attention is on the positions and the breath, on your breath and yeah. your muscles and where you're at, then yeah, of course, that whole time is, uh, yeah, great for that.
4: Yeah. And, and other things like, you know, as we talked about earlier, music. Yeah. Um, I play guitar. I mean, just sitting playing guitar for half an hour. Again, it's, it's mindfulness. Again, yeah. you're in the zone. Yeah, the, the
1: musicians I spoke to on my music show, and uh, they speak about when they're playing live, and mm-hmm. suddenly they fall into the space of, they're not aware of anything else, and they're just doing it, and it's yep. the amazing stillness Absolutely. within that. Absolutely. Even though you could be in front of a crowd, you could be doing some crazy bit of music at the time, but you're you're just flowing.
4: It's amazing. I mean, I, I don't play live so much now, but I, me- I remember playing in front of a lot of people the nerves and adrenaline kick in, but for that you are in the zone. Yeah. You don't the nerves and adrenaline are good, but you are in the zone. Um, yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. It's a meditation
1: almost, but it, well it is, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're learning and practicing as well. It's a Art, good way of doing again, it. Yeah. Drawing, painting. Are yeah. the things like this that you suggest to people you see? Absolutely.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yoga, I mean, um, my colleague today actually went with one of her clients to yoga. Okay. Uh, she was very nervous about going on her own. So she went with her. And now our, what we were trying to do is step back. Yeah. And so she will feel confident enough to go. That's it's about right. building confidence. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, because this touches on what you uh, spoke about first, how you kind of got into the practices through
4: music and you had a, a center here that you worked at yeah absolutely that was at uh, the hermit yeah. over, uh, over the road and and again it was m- I I was working with younger people teenage kids who have all the same problems of as us yeah. over 18s yeah and that's how I I got into it I mean it was that you feel like you can do some good and I think yeah. sometimes people just want to talk to someone yeah if you're a, a teenage kid, sometimes you don't want to talk to your mum and dad about stuff. Do exactly. You, you know, I As, yeah, they have
1: a different connection they have with the adults and or uh, with their problems. So I think when you're a teenager or a certain ages, you you feel like you're on your own.
4: Absolutely. And you don't want to speak to mum and dad about some yeah. of this stuff. So if you can go and speak to a counsellor or someone else like that, was, was a youth worker. It's someone who's non-judgmental. It's great, and, it, and it's and it's what counsellors do here. It's non-judgmental. You know that you walk away from that. It's completely confidential, and that you've actually let off steam. You know, yeah. you've you know, you've got this stuff that's going round in your head, and you've let it out.
1: Well, fortunately and hopefully, uh, if you're able to help t- children and teenagers with these issues, then they're released and able to move forward with their lives strongly. And especially than, if you can nip it in the bud. That's earlier. what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. not waiting till they're forty
4: and then all that baggage all that- on top. Yeah, you want to get rid of that baggage early. You you know, you want to see these young people. They have so much potential. That was a thing uh, when I was doing the youth work. I don't want to keep going on about that. But but it was about the potential of people. You you want them to see have a full, fulfilling life. I don't want them ending up coming here for counselling. I want them, you know.
1: Yeah, some of the issues I felt when I was feeling bad was mainly about regrets. And I think partly regrets came from not maybe acting or being the way I wanted to be because of the what what was locked in from when I was younger and a teenager not being confident enough in those times. And so then the the mistakes are repeated over a period of time into the 20s and 30s and it's like those are regrets you
4: have. And then it's like,
1: oh, if only... And it's not,
4: not fulfilling your potential when you're younger. I mean, I was quite confident as a youngster and I was out there playing in bands and doing stuff. But it got to a point where I thought, am I fulfilling, am I as good as I really think I am? Yeah. And then when I realised maybe there's a lot of people better than me, yeah, um, I crashed, right. And then had to sort of reevaluate how I thought about life. Yeah, uh, I won't go into it, but that's yeah. But then uh, about fulfilment. And then with, with age
1: and as you grow up as well, then you realise that there's other a- avenues you can go down. Because what you're doing now, how important is that? Absolutely. You're and if it wasn't for these steps you took before, you wouldn't be doing this. And Absolutely. So, and that's. The reassuring thing in us where you come back to the uh, present moment or whatever is that, you know, we are here now. And you can say we're here for a reason or or not, but we're here. And what has led us to be here is fine. It must have been what needed to happen. And
4: you've got one life. Yeah. And, you know, you want to try and live that as fulfilling and and get on with as many people and make life as enjoyable as possible you're not going to get another chance yeah exactly and you know know,
1: some some pressure can be put on to to feel like oh i need to be doing what i need to be doing and not wasting time and you know but some of these these pressures
4: are you know as we said earlier facebook watching tv adverts comparing to others others yeah, yeah oh he's got you know a yacht i want a yacht that none of that matters. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not comfortable within here, yeah. and I'm pointing at my head, yeah, you know, and comfortable yourself, that's what matters. Money isn't important. We yes, we we've all got bills to pay, but it's having that inner peace. And
1: from that, then we can a lot of this work as well is to become the best version of ourselves Absolutely. and to clear away all these glitches and baggage. To Absolutely. then you know, so regardless of what it is that we're here to do or can do. We can do it in a very flowing.
4: But if you've had your way. confidence battered from you know from a young age, sometimes it's bringing that out of people. Yeah, which you know within us all, I think we have got that. It's sometimes it just needs to be you know if you've had a bad time when you were younger, bringing that out of
1: people. Yeah, maybe that's a a good way that we can not redefine like mental health as a topic or a title, but to just by helping with that to nurture people's beingness and what they can do and that just their inner soul you know
4: it's there you know and we don't want to sound too sort of um new agey about it but it is you know it's that that inner confidence
1: yeah and so yeah to make sure that people are free and able to be that without doubt anything that can block them and clarity of speech and being and yeah all these little things are you know help people feel stronger and it's part of the work I've been doing as well and it makes a, you know a big difference that's brilliant yeah part of what I was talking about earlier about changes you've seen because from the early work you were doing mm-hmm. with uh, the youth work and then working here has there been any changes you've noticed kind of a bit of a broad topic but for example in issues people have been having or are the issues basically the same around I think depression? a
4: lot of the issues there's I mean I'd say 90% of our work is around depression and anxiety. Yeah. The other 10% you've got your OCDs, your eating disorders, self-harm are a smaller percentage. Um but as I said earlier we we're all on that spectrum yeah. and somewhere all these things happen to us but to some people it's a much bigger degree have there been
1: changes in that i mean i, I guess that also brings uh, us back to the organization because if there's a you know no funding all of a sudden and fewer of you were doing the work then there's bigger pressures of help trying to help a number of people but have there been uh, changes within the spectrum of people like in, with depression of any variations in it for example
4: i wouldn't not necessarily i still think we're getting the same p- proportion of men to women yeah. um our age group here goes from seventeen-year-olds up to people in their seventies. Right. So it's a huge spectrum. Again, we've had footballers, models, yeah. all walks of life. <coughs> I don't think mental health discriminates. No, of course it yeah. doesn't. It, yeah. it, you know, it's um, this goes back to the you know, again this issue fundamentally in society that needs to be looked at. Uh, and it needs to be funded properly. Yeah. Uh, and that's a you know a big bugbear with me that how people see mental health and physical health should be the same. Yeah. You know, money gets put into, you know, you've got the doctor, the broken arm. Yeah. You know, it, that gets fixed. Mental yeah. health can go on for years. Yeah. And it should be looked at the same.
1: Yeah. I mean, is there any way that when you first see somebody that do you plan a s- sequence of, of sessions or can things be fluid in that way like you can you can maybe see people over say three or four and th- okay we've dealt with this you in leave yeah, it with mean, things
4: sometimes to work on some of the people that i see either because of funding issues they they um if they're being funded by a personal budget they'll ask me to say well how have, have things progressed over six months so i sign work sometimes a six-month plan um i've got clients who have travel anxieties yeah so uh when i first meet them we'll walk to the bus stop and yeah they won't get on a bus my goal in that six months is for them to be able to get on and do a bus journey on their own yeah. from A to B. Small steps, but from someone who couldn't look at a bus without panicking to actually yeah. be able to get on, sit on a bus of crowded people and actually go from A to B and back. Yeah, And I can say month one, we we'll went yeah. to the bus stop. Yeah. Month two, I know I'm making that sound much simplified, but you can see the small steps. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. So then there's, yeah, then different people have different things and you can work out what they need with that. That's just one example. That's a travel
4: anxiety, you know, I deal with people with anger issues. Right. Yeah, all sorts of things.
1: And so your background and what you've learned is that you're able to uh, apply different experiences to what people need. Absolutely. And as you said before as well, if you've experienced things yourself, it's so much easier to be able to share and help from that perspective, but also be uh, from the person who needs the help perspective they see you as authentic you
4: know Oh, uh, so and that's the other thing you walk in here i mean you know we're sitting in here now we've got a picture of david bowie on the wall <laughs> it's not a it's not a clinical environment exactly we yeah. try and make it when i do a referral i sit down there and the other day i was wearing a clash t-shirt and, and the guy said I, I didn't think i'd be sitting here with a guy wearing a clash yeah. t-shirt <laughs> um i thought it'd be much more clinical and i i try and make it that we're you know we're not your friend but yeah we're, in, in that respect but it's as casual and relaxed that you feel like I'm chatting to you over a beer in the pub yes
1: exactly um, because I know how much again that come, kind of goes back to maybe changes in society because uh, what I notice uh, with a lot of people uh, I see is that they just want someone to listen to them absolutely and so how many times that you know you go to the pub and uh, you know sit down and chat with someone and again, this might come back to a changes in society and money as well, because you know, obviously, you know, drinking too much alcohol then changes warps people's perspective. Yep. But but maybe people are feeling more separated now. We've got this continual divide and separate in society you now. People getting their food delivered to their door, yep, and shopping. That's so not very personal. Everything is it? exactly. So before, maybe we'd be out and about a bit more and we'd connect with more people more often maybe not people that are our are friends maybe people at the shop or and people that you just say hello to reflect off mm-hmm. make you well that makes you feel good doesn't it it does you go in
4: a shop and someone says good morning how are you yeah. that makes me feel better in the morning yeah you know, exactly so. now, <coughs> more little, of that yeah and then so yeah there's some of that's been removed almost out of society yep, I These think are, so. in our interactions but. but then we're going back to the whole internet thing again I think people have you know on Facebook oh I've got 900 friends <laughs> have you yeah how many, how many of them do you actually know exactly
1: you know? and then this comes back to what I was saying about, yeah. So, what you're saying about just having a chat with someone over a drink, how important that is, mm. or even a coffee or something. How often do we do that now compared to what we used to do? Yeah, obviously, you know, for but like, people have events. busier lives now, don't yeah. they? Everyone's
4: always looking at their watch, thinking, Oh, if I'm not out there, you know, again, time. Yeah, and no, I
1: the more time I spend in London as well, that seems to be changing. That seems to be a very much a driving factor. Trying to pin down seeing someone, I I, I'm guilty of this as well of having to schedule maybe next Thursday next week. We can spend Mm -hmm. a few hours together catching up, which is a shame.
4: Well, it should be more organic. Where it should be, you know,
1: it used to be be like when I was younger, you like show up at someone's door and say, what what do you have to? What are you doing?" Yeah, (laughs) but
4: now you're planning it in in your diary. I'm not sure
1: whether it's like an age thing, and you know, I think younger people are still doing that to a degree. So I wonder whether there is a change in our responsibilities. Very possibly, are you know responsible for that a little bit, but I guess this comes back to some ideas. questions would ask about the environments here as well like any environmental factors that are changing because the one benefit we have of being here in Brentwood and in, we got uh, in some Essex. green spaces <laughs> exactly you, you can go for a walk or something and then well, I, ag-
4: to- again I think things like that are very good you know country walk. we've got country parks here going back to the mindfulness if I was walking through wheeled country park yeah and I'm concentrating on the sky the leaves I feel better about myself. Yeah. And I'm and these are the things you want to try and get a bit, I mean they sound very simple yeah. things but they work. Yeah. I was talking about my wife earlier, you know, working with this sort of ecotherapy, green things yeah. make you feel better. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And this because after what what I was talking about with environmental factors that may have changed with as you get to more urban environments, more buildings around, we have this increase in... Well, frequency. everyone's on a mobile phone uh, wondering about, you know... Exactly, the mobile phone brain, frequency, you know, just... Wi-Fi, and yep. the 4G and everything. And so when you bring people out of that environment into nature, already you're connecting. Yep. You know, we're part of nature anyway, so we're reconnecting with our environment, our natural environment. Well, I go
4: down to Cornwall a lot. Um, we've got, we stay down there quite a bit uh, for long weekends, and I don't get a phone signal down there. Right. And for those three days, it's wonderful. Yeah, so you notice a difference. Yeah, nothing's bleeping in my pocket yeah. or vibrating. Yeah. And you actually talk. We go down there. I go down with my wife. And um, we're at home. Your phone's bleeping. as this and that. We actually spend more time walking and talking. Yeah. Like we used to. Yeah. <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, technology is a wonderful thing. And I don't knock it because I use it a lot myself. Yeah. But there are times when it, that off button is just one of the most wonderful things. Or when you see that Wi-Fi symbol yeah. isn't on. Yeah. It's just nice.
1: And then you can put it down in a way so you're not you're not exposed to the frequency anymore Absolutely. as well. Yeah.
4: yeah. What <laughs> is that doing to your head? I mean,
1: I'd already go, it's a different subject. But, yeah, but that you know, with the Wi-Fi as well, like passing through our bodies and stuff. It's going through you. If it's yeah. going through a wall, it's going through you. Yeah, exactly. Through so the then what effect is that going to have on us? And so then, like I was mentioned when you mentioned your wife's um, nature therapy, right, these examples I've heard of in America where kids that are having big problems in urban environments mm-hmm. taken out for crazy walks in the country, hiking in, I guess, in America. It's different. You have these huge examples of nature and places you can go to, but, but apparently, in a, literally in two or so days,
4: mm-hmm.
1: they're back, back to being normal kids. Well, in
4: London, they have these things called urban farms, don't yeah, they? Yeah, Where there's kids, you know, growing up on a housing estate in somewhere like Hackney who've never seen a sheep or a yeah. cow or anything, and they actually go and experience touching yeah. an animal.
1: yeah. And then knowing where the food comes from. Absolutely. Yeah, like physically seeing it rather than being told and and being some abstract thing. That's what it was. Yeah, had four (laughs) legs once. Exactly. (laughs) And by knowing that as well, that's probably going to help them in their development anyway. Well, then
4: again, we can go on for hours, but then, you know, there's questions, things like diet. Yeah. Important. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I've had an exact example of that. Yeah, a friend who his father takes on foster kids for brief periods when they're in transition moments. And there's this one example of uh, a child that they had for a few weeks who was crazy and violent like you know, a young kid really uh, you know really huge problems but what they did was a they, they did just one change took sugar out of his diet yeah the fizzy drink yeah and uh, literally within days he was back again being a normal yeah. kid and the social worker couldn't believe it that it was Such that a something? simple yeah thing. exactly and then how much does that affect you know
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we could go on for ages. Yeah, we?
1: yeah, that's but that's a, you know it, it, that's an important factor again, and maybe that's one thing I'll be uh, looking into as well. Is that you know? Well, again, effects.
4: then you go on to then uh, with the sugar thing, you would go into things like obesity. Again, yeah, how then how you're looking at yourself again? We were talking earlier oh, about yeah, how so people... There's this vicious circle that can. It's a vicious circle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this whole body image thing that we're obsessed with with this reality TV and and all girls have got to be stick thin. That's not real. Is and it with
1: this whole. F- Obsession is this kind of narcissism comes out because not only do you have the selfie thing from the social media, but then also it stems from now. You have children being photographed all the time with their parents when they're yeah. it, when they're, they're dressing something different and stuff, and then yep. that, as they grow up, then there's a development from there as well. Absolutely, that kind of just continues, and so yeah, they, it's a vicious are, circle. <laughs> so I guess these are you know some of the changes I was uh, kind of thinking about, and they're, they're always going to be ongoing. As well, well, I think aren't some they? of the things
4: we've spoken about today, I think you could do a whole podcast on just one of those topics yeah it's a, you know <laughs> I mean, maybe that's how it's
1: going to work out We've sort so of scattergunned around a bit here <laughs> we today. have but which is kind of natural as well and that's one of the reasons I'm, you know glad i saw you because it kind of makes sense as the first episode as well because these are what you know what's come up in this conversation are the things i want to be covering over the coming months
4: no i think it's a great idea and I really uh... yeah yeah
1: you know, thank you for that i wonder if that's a good way to end on um i guess what I was going to uh, come to as well is that, are you optimistic? You know, are there is there something, you know, I'm, i try and be optimistic because obviously we can easily see the good in people mm-hmm. and the
4: good, the good in their potential. I'm optimistic about a lot of things. Funding, I, I, I don't want to go yeah. on and on about funding. Well, it's important because, but it is, yeah. Well, it keeps us going. Um, <laughs> if we don't get the people coming through the door here for counselling and, and the work that we do and have to pay for it at the moment, which, again, is not ideal... We won't be here. Yeah. What ideally, how I would like it is at some point the government put money back into mental health that we actually get the proper funding where we can actually see people for nothing again. Yeah. And so people don't feel you know they might be unemployed or on benefits and and twenty five pound is a lot of money. Yeah. It compared to a private counsellor, it's not. You know that's. Yeah. But it's still. If you're struggling, that's and it sticks in my throat, you know, when I talk about it. But if we were funded properly, as we used to be, this wouldn't happen.
1: Yeah, you'd have more people here. There'd be uh, like with anything.
4: We we run groups. We used to run groups. I used to do guitar lessons for people coming in free. You know, this was. uh, We still have a a small group here on a Friday, but it's we can't because we've got no staff. Yeah, I mean, no what?
1: To, okay, obviously, funding's a, a big part of that, but if you make it apart from that, it being a big wish, what would be the next thing after that that would help you immensely?
4: Massive donations <laughs> would be really handy. Um, what would make me happy about mental health? Yeah. I'd like to see, I think the main thing is the parity, which we spoke about earlier, that mental health is recognized exactly the same as physical health. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That it's not just. Swept I think there's under been the progress carpet. on that. But, there but, is progress. I mean, I've Radio 4 on in the morning and they blurt on there about, oh, and the Liberal Party of this and the uh, Labour Party, the Tories. Oh, yes, we're all talking about mental health and the Royal Family are getting involved, which is great and it raises awareness. Yeah. But until I actually see some of that funding being put back into it, and not just for us, for lots of other mental health charities, yeah. there's a lot of people out there trying to do. Some good, but you're held back all the time by lack of funds.
1: Yeah, and that it comes down to that. But one of the things I say to you know the people I treat and people I've been communicating with, and some online as well on Facebook, is that easiest thing you can do, again back to environmental radiation uh, as I term it, is turn off the radio and TV. Absolutely, because if it, if you don't know what They're telling you, then if you look out the window now, things are pretty fine yeah. <laughs> out there. Yeah, you know, people are being frightened by this or that on the TV, but how much of it is actually a real or b? Well, you, that's you another can,
4: whole thing. This whole fake news that's yeah. around, you know, I mean, there's a big world out there. Yeah, uh, I'd go out and experience it exactly rather
1: than just looking at a little screen and what you're being told through there, and also you know what you're being told things that you can't affect, and so you're being mm-hmm. made anxious about that. So
4: turn it off. Absolutely. And, I mean, uh, ca- you know, Korea are launching missiles. Yeah, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> so me worrying about that, yeah, you is, know, is and, pointless and, and really.
1: And all, yeah, yeah I could go into it as well. So the best thing to, you can do is, you know, as not. I say, just turn it off. Turn it off. It, go for a nice ignore, walk. Exactly, <laughs> and see who you meet and have a chat with them. Absolutely. <laughs>
4: And, yeah, go out and chat to people. Great. Talk that's to more it. people. Yeah. Again, that's the other thing. Get off a of line and, and... Pick up that. the phone and speak to someone. Yeah. Or even face to face. Go and yeah. have a beer. I'm yeah. not saying go and get... Yeah. You know, go, yeah, go go, go, a cu- go a have cup a cup coffee. of tea. This, this, this,
1: I'm really happy with this cup of tea you made me. It's uh, the first one I've had for a little <laughs> while because uh, I, I've... One thing I've noticed as well, back to the kind of diet thing, is I've noticed noticing that uh, I've been running a bit ragged and uh, having one or two more coffees I should do every day. I try
4: and stop, although there's two of us here, we both do drink too much coffee. I try and stop the coffee around lunchtime.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm sort of doing now, and that
4: has that's made a difference with sleep, for sure. I, yeah, oh my God, yeah, we used to... When we were really busy and very fraught here, when it was, you know, your coffees are still going at four or five o'clock yeah. and then you're going home and you're wired. Yeah, you
1: know. and then it affects your sleep. And that must be a big part of uh, sleep, what you do as well. Is it, yeah. yeah.
4: Oh, that could go into, that's another one. Yeah, I mean, mental health and sleep sleep problems. Uh, people not eating properly. Yeah. Again, mental health, it affects... You physically as yeah, well. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, that's
1: another whole one. Maybe I'll come back. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I was just about to say that because uh, I thought, well, thank you, Colin, for your time because I, I think that's a good place to kind of end this conversation. But as you said, it does feel like a bit of a scattergun, you know. And yeah, uh, we, yeah. uh, we kind of, some of these things came up with my friend Elizabeth that I spoke to as well in the other uh, conversation for this first episode. But I think these things that have come up, you know, when I'm listening back, I've made some notes anyway about what maybe a bit of an arc over the coming episodes. But as you say, there are things that came up that could be talked about in one whole episode. So maybe that could be things I'll, I'll plan out and organize. And it'd be wonderful to come back and speak to you again Definitely. about you know, what you've been doing and uh, maybe find we'll give you tuning, a, progress <laughs> a progress update. Yeah, progress update. Yeah, hopefully that you guys. Hopefully some, we're still here. And, and maybe some good news, but also maybe we can drill down into one or two particular topics that, yeah. we, that have come up and uh, we can go from there. It'd be great.
4: No problem. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you. No problem.
1: <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM.
1: Uh, another wonderful conversation, and I'd like to thank once again my first guests on this extended first episode of The Return of Mental Health Matters, psychologist Elizabeth Tapini and Colin Wade of Brentwood Mind. I will include more information about them in their contact details on the episode page I will post on the Phoenix FM website. I would also like to thank Paul Golder and Phoenix FM for supporting this podcast here in Brentwood, Essex. It's a great way to help with this important topic, which is quite prevalent for a lot of people in society at the moment. As we said at the end of the chat with Colin, the least we can be doing at the moment is switching off the TV and speaking to more people and our neighbors out and about in the community. But as I bring this episode to a close, it's a good moment to share some useful contact information more of which, uh, once again, will be listed on the episode page. First of all, uh, you can contact Mind in Brentwood, where Colin works, on 1277 234246, or you can drop them an email via their website, BrentwoodMind.org.uk, where also there'll be more information about volunteering and supporting them as well. For other information, we have uh, Samaritans, which is a free number on 116-123, or you can email them joe, J-O, at samaritans.org, or their website, samaritans.org. You can contact SANE on 0300-304-7000 between 6 and 11 p.m. every evening, or see their website, sane.org.uk. Or also, you have Ellie Friends E-L-E Friends, M-H Support Forum, at E-L-E Or there's a website, rethink.org, Rethink Mental Illness website. For fact sheets and more information. And as I said, there's more information on the episode page, which will be posted on the Phoenix FM website and via the Twitter and Facebook pages. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of The Return of Mental Health Matters. If you have any questions or comments, please stay in touch with the show via the social media pages I just mentioned. Uh, you have Twitter at MHM Podcast or the Facebook page. Search for Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM confidentiality rules are in effect so you're able to speak freely. I'm Graham Stannard and stay tuned for the next episode next month, where there will be more wonderful and helpful conversations. Leaving you now with another beautiful song by Snatham Cower, Deep Blue Sea. Lots of love and take care. (laughs)